If you're looking to grow and be someone who tends to the flock, you want that to be part of your job and not just going out on the hunt. Like you have to be competitive with your own goal, but also be considerate of those people around you. Keep in mind that the success of the team was also paramount. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I am the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman and your host here. And today I have an amazing woman to interview, to share with you on this podcast. Her name is Emily Jansen, and she's a sports executive who specializes in marketing partnerships and management. She's done a TED Talk that is on confidence. And we're going to dive into that deeply today because that's a big thing when you're like growing a business. And that TED Talk has gotten more than 2 million views, which is freaking tremendous. So super excited about that. And she is herself obsessed with helping women achieve her their goals. So she's right in our lane here going after big goals. How do you do that? Let's get Kraken and start that conversation. Okay. So Emily, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So let's start with like the context. Tell us about how you started in the line of work that you're in and built the business that you currently have, which is about being a, a sports executive and doing management of athletes are all the people that you represent women and I didn't I don't know that that's the case but I'm curious if it is so tell us a little bit about the journey and and the current biz I started my career in uh back a long time ago um with the Chicago Bulls I was a a ticket sales executive um I turned down a full-time salary position with an advertising agency um, for an internship that was eight months long and paid virtually nothing because I wanted to bet on myself and I had a dream of working in the sports industry. Eight months later, um, after you know pretty good success in my internship class, my dream almost died. I did not land a full-time job at the end of that journey. And that was really my first experience with professional disappointment. I was an athlete growing up, um, you know, I could always muscle through it and win on the field. And this was a situation where, you know, really wasn't up to me. I had to do my best and, and hope to get hired. And at the end of the day, I wasn't wasn't chosen. But like all good stories, you know, it worked out really well. I went and worked for Muscular Dystrophy Association in Chicago. And as a still 20, no, I was 21 year, 21, 22 year old at the time, I was thrown into a small but mighty organization that was responsible for raising millions of dollars in this big city. And I went from cold calling, you know, 80 people a day to face-to-face meetings with partners at law firms and, you know, big business owners. And I had to grow my skill set really quickly, which uh, I think 
I wasn't expecting to be launched in that direction, but really helped expose me to bigger opportunity um, at a younger age. So I did that uh, for several years, felt so much joy and pride in working in the nonprofit sector. Um, down the road, I found myself out in Reno, Nevada, and that was uh, either get here for marriage or like a job. And for me, it was it was marriage. And uh, I got uh, to working pretty quickly. I got introduced to a AAA baseball team in town, the Reno Aces, who are the affiliate in the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it was another situation where I had to bet on myself. At this time, I had eight years experience in partnership sales and working in sports organizations and nonprofits. Um, but the only job they had open was an account executive role and sponsorship, which typically you need two to three years experience to get that role. And the pay was lower than what I had been receiving previously, but I was in a new market and it was- And it was in the industry that you wanted to play in. It was it was your, your segue in there. I knew that I had to get in, get to work and show them what I could do. Two years later, I was vice president, which was the role that let's, I- Let's just pause there for a second, okay? I'm gonna interject here and we're gonna keep going with this story, but there's a few things that I wanna, wanna say. That last thing you said was show them what I had, right? You started to deliver. You knew that you had to deliver before you could receive. This is something that I talk a lot about. I don't know if it's a language that you you uh, think in, but I talk a lot about the law of compensation. Like you have to be bigger than your present position before you start receiving at a higher level. And you have to prove to the world that you you deserve the compensation at that higher level. And you did that. And, and the next sentence out of your, your mouth, even though I was in the midst of interrupting you, was in two years later, I was a vice president. So can you speak to a little bit of that, that story, that, that concept of giving before on faith, giving on the idea that it's going to pay off, the belief that it's going to pay off. Yeah, Amir, I've never heard it put that way, the law of compensation, but it's something that I've believed in and worked towards my entire career. And you got to show them what you can do. A lot of times when you're you know, starting a business or you're applying for a new job, you've got a paper that represents what you've done in the past but they don't know you from the next person. Maybe they do, maybe you got the job based on a referral, but that's only gonna take you so far. You have to prove that you can deliver. And in this case, and I think in most cases, if you're a person who can deliver financial results, you are going to see that come back to you in the form of greater compensation and the title bump that you are look looking for. Let's talk about that because there's yeah. there's there's a lot in there because I'm I'm taking notes on your journey here, right? I'm I'm tracking. You were your first internship was doing sales. You were basically cold calling people to sell tickets. They might have been on a list of, you know, customers that had bought before, but you're still you're doing sales and you're doing cold calls. And that is like like learning this is this is the the school of hard knocks kind of learning how to do sales. And then shift to your your time with the MS Foundation, that kind of fundraising and 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 doing it in person and figuring out how to have those conversations. That's like learning on the field of play, 
getting the experience, but you you were learning how to move money very early on in your career. And then when you took this position, even though it was less money, you were able to produce those financials because you had put the reps in. You had had learned how to do this, even though it was probably a different type of sales. You had that level of confidence through the reps that you put in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I almost feel like when I look back, the goal they gave me was like, let's just see what she could do. It was kind of one of those like, well, this would be nice if one of our salespeople could achieve this number. Let's see, you know, and I I met my sales goal that year and every year thereafter and opened new categories and and really worked in a more organized manner to produce these partnerships. And then also, you know, lifted up the people around me. It's certainly competitive, especially in sales, but you can't uh, you can't have this approach of like ever taking from the people around you. You have to like carve your own path. Um, sometimes that requires some generosity, you know, with the leads or with the assets that you have to sell, which if you're looking to grow and be be someone who you know, tends to the flock, whether it's the flock of, of, you know, other sellers or the flock of partners, like, like really fostering those relationships. If you want that to be part of your, your, your job and not just, you know, going out on the hunt, like you have to be competitive with your own goal, but also be considerate of those people around you. And I was able to do both. I was able to relentlessly pursue that sales goal, but at the same time, keep in mind that the success of the team was also paramount. Absolutely. So this is like the rising tide lifts all boats and and like working on a creative plane, not a competitive plane. You're competing against yourself, but you know, if you're not in scarcity thinking, then you don't have to compete against anyone else. You can just be like, there's enough for everyone. Let's figure out how to do this. So so tell me, before we jump to the 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 second part of your journey and how you got from this role with the the uh, Reno sports team, the baseball team, to doing your executive management, go back for me. What was it that called you forward? so strongly into the field of sports. Now, you said that you were an athlete when you were younger, but that that doesn't always translate to wanting to stay in that in that world after maybe you're not you're not playing anymore, right? Like what what about being in sports, the business of sports was calling you forward? Was there something that that you tapped into young around that? Yeah, I think there's a few things. Um, one, definitely playing sports myself and having that be such a big focus of my childhood. I have two brothers and we grew up pretty rural in Illinois and there wasn't a lot to do. Like I was so jealous of of friends at school who lived in neighborhoods who had rules like, hey, you got to come home when the streetlights come on. Like we didn't even have streetlights. So I had my brothers to play with and we had a garage full of sports equipment. And that was like what we did. And that was that was the foundation of, of my love 
for sports. My parents love sports. We had parties on the weekends to watch the games. And the the other, I think, really important piece of why I, I like this industry so much is that I was also really bored as a kid because I didn't have I didn't have the access to um, attend events or, you know, go out to anything more than like the local mall. My friends weren't nearby. I wanted and loved and craved that team environment that I had when I was playing with with my friends, like on our competitive soccer team. I wanted that. And sports are exciting, like working in a front office. Sure, you're not the one on the fields, you know, hitting the home runs or scoring the goals, but you're part of this larger team environment. I love mentorship. I love leadership. And I think that translates even even strong, more strongly into that type of environment in a front office. So a lot of those things really aligned um, for me. And listen, I've had breaks in my career where I've worked on the corporate side. And if you talk to any of us who work in the sports industry, like we'll tell you it's just, it's just not the same. It's different. You're this just small piece in this big wheel. Whereas in a, in a sports organization, like any person has an opportunity to make an impact. And that's something that I can really appreciate. I love that. So tell me what your thoughts are around why it's different in the, the sports industry. Why do you think, because that sounds like it's more based on merit than and results than on something else. Am I right there? Like what, what is it about the sports industry that lends itself to that? The culture of the team. So the team in baseball, like your team is, is has a, a higher propensity to be successful when you've got a great clubhouse. Like when the guys are in the clubhouse or in the locker room together and they get along and they're joking and they're going through this grind together, that's an example. I think that's set for the executive staff as well. Like you always want to do great work, but then when you feel like there's something a little bit bigger, like you want to produce for, you want to produce for the athletes and you want to produce for the fans and you want to produce for the city. Like it becomes something that is, is more, you're like more bought into it because you feel like this thread of the community in a different way then I think you might as um, someone who works, you know, in a larger corporation, like people are showing up to see you. You're high-fiving strangers at a home run. Like that is something that is, is very contagious. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of us, you know, we, we, we have an opportunity to kind of weave in and weave out of the sports industry through these different chapters in our lives. And we tend to come back because you know, sometimes there's, long, long hours. I mean, you're working all day and then you're at the event all night, but you love what you do and the the people in the environment around you helps helps to drive you forward and gives you this energy where you care about your job, I think, in a different way. Do you think it's part of what has helped you with confidence because you're doing it for the team, because you're doing it for the community, when there's something hard in front of you, something you've not done before, right? We, we all face challenges the, the new thing that we have to learn is, do you think that that do it for the team, do it for the community, do it for something bigger has been part of what's given you the confidence to do the hard things? Yeah, Amira, there's two, there's two things there. There's willpower, certainly, and there's also your why. 
like having confidence in doing hard things, you have to have a reason. Like you have to start with why. And in this instance, the why isn't necessarily for the paycheck. It's for what you listed. It's for the community. It's for the team. It's for a cool experience for my kids. It's like there's it's it's for the promotion of my career. It's for being a woman on a man's stage. Like there's so many whys that you can attribute to the job. And then that also really helps with your willpower. So keep showing up every single day because you're part of the grind to see the results and to really move more towards that why you identified uh, when you started. Let's talk about being a woman on a man's stage. What does that mean for you? Maybe when you were first starting, and then what does it mean for you now? Because I'm sure there's been an evolution and growth. And then I want to come back to this concept of willpower. I would say with with that part of the story, you know, early on, um, I wasn't sure what to do with it. So I, I left to go back to that story. Like I left ACES as a VP. My husband and I moved to Houston and I worked in major events for a couple of years and then got the call to come back and be the general manager of the Reno ACES, which is different from if I was working from an MLB team in the way that I am managing the entire like totality of the business that includes the player side, but it doesn't include who's on the field. That's that's the one like key difference. So I came back, took the position as, as GM. That gave me a sort of a, a tagline as first female general manager in AAA baseball in almost 20 years. And for you, God, I wasn't the first. I always say that because this was in 2018 and that would just be, you know, the worst. But I was the only, right? I'm sitting at these tables. I'm in these rooms with, with only the guys. And for me, I was like, I, I knew I was there for a reason. Like I earned that role. I didn't have, I didn't even know what imposter syndrome was when I started the job. To be honest with you, I was asked on a panel if I had imposter syndrome and I said, I don't know what that is. So I don't think that I do. <laughs> um, and why are we introducing this, this concept to people that's only going to help them to maybe follow the road of this imposter syndrome, like just keep like moving forward. So anyway, I, I didn't know what to do. I knew I got the job because of what I could do. And I didn't know where to go with this tagline of, of being a woman, you know, leading in this industry until I was at an industry event. It was like six months later and I was on this panel for women in baseball and there was a room of 300 women, which was incredible that you know, there were so many of us in this room working it specifically in this industry. And I did the panel and I talked about my journey. And when I was done, I left the stage and I had a line of people form in front of me. And one after another, they said, I didn't know I could do that job until I saw you. And that's when I knew what it meant. It was visibility. And so part two of that was, hey, how do I create greater visibility not just around myself, but around other women who are doing incredible things in this industry who might not have the platform or make the time to share their voice. Like, how can I make it easy to, to represent women in, in this industry, women in business? And that's where I started my podcast, um, Leadership is Female, where I interview female executives in sports. And there are a lot of us and everyone needs to take their turn at the mic to tell their story, to lead her forward. 
but also lead women who are in comparable positions at other teams who don't have a network of executive women that they're running into every day and that are helping them grow. Like we're sharing those reminders on the podcast as well. I love that. I was just, I can't recall the name of the show, but last night I was watching on Netflix a, maybe you've seen this already. There's a, a, a series on coaching, like what coach speaks or, uh, Coach, coach rules or something like that. And the second episode is with the coach of the women's soccer team and her, her, the U S soccer team for years. I know she's not the, the coach now, but f- during the, the, the big, um, rise and heyday anyways, part of that show was around equ- equitability of pay for female athletes. Is that something that you talk a lot about with the executives on the show and and what is the i mean both the pay within the roles that they're owning but also the influence that they might have for equal pay for for uh female athletes you know all the topics come up like all the topics that we're you know that we're working through and dealing with in business and the show we really start about that individual's journey because i think we find a lot of uh, of threads of stories of commonalities when we learn like where someone came from and what what decisions they made and also uncovering like the fact that it's never too late and you don't have to have this like super strict linear path in an industry where you start in one role and you grow to another um one of the things we found out lately is like you make more money if you leave a company and get a new job somewhere else. Like you could be missing out on millions over the course of your career if you stay with the same company. So we're getting more exposure to these nonlinear paths and giving permission that it's okay to jump, it's okay to take a new job, which is crazy that we use the word permission, but it's so true because you see her do it and you're like, okay, like I could do it too. And, you know, having more conversations among your circle about how much money you're making. I can't tell you how often now, you know, my my colleagues, my network, like we're calling each other and asking how much are you getting paid for that job? How much did you get paid for that consulting gig? So that we can make sure that we're, we're asking for and earning our worth. And then also saying no when they come in below market because this industry also has a tendency to work you to the bone. You know, we like to get people on salary and then you work 60 plus hours a week, like in the season. So you're used to saying, all right, I'm going to pay this much money, but I'm going to get this much work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it switches on the contract side when you're like, no, like I'm not yeah. looking for you for a hundred hours a week for this pay. It's like such it, a big- these are the limits of, of this, this deal. It's such a big deal, this this concept of owning your value, that self-worth piece and the visibility that's required in order to, to, to step forward. Oftentimes with my clients, they're in a lot of different industries and they're, they're often in service-based industries, but also selling products. And there's always the question of pricing and it's how much can, can I really charge that? I'm like, yeah, you can. And let me show you how. Because here's the methodology. Here's how you have to frame it up. Here's how you have to position it. It doesn't work to just go in entitled. That That's not 
part of it. As we started the conversation off earlier, we talked about that law of compensation. It's like mm-hmm. you, you give, the first law of, of receiving is giving, you give first, but you also have to ask. And this is where I think it's really important not to, to have that fear or lack of confidence. And while you were talking, I was thinking about that comment that you made about imposter syndrome. What's that? And why are we even talking about that? And I was thinking, okay, now why does Emily not have the context for that at all? Whereas that's so part of the common culture around women in leadership and taking on new roles and like, how can I do this before I know how to do this? And that 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 whole quote unquote imposter syndrome. And I think it goes back to your story about growing up in a very rural area and playing sports with your brothers. It's like, you didn't think, oh, I can't do that because I'm a girl. It was like the only thing that was there. So of course I'm going to do it. There's nothing that I'm going to say I can't do. So I kind of think you won the won the lottery on that because oh you, my might not, you might not patting, patting themselves on the back right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was you who did the, who stepped forward, but like better than the, the streetlights coming on and having to go inside, you know, you, you learned a certain level of just like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to put myself on the field of play. Right. And, and go for it. So I think there's, well, there's a lot to be learned there. Like today, you know, I'm, I'm on this, this, road right now of entrepreneurship and I can 100% see where it can creep in because as an entrepreneur, you're you're alone a lot. So you don't mm-hmm. have that support of the team. You don't have the influence of the success around you. You might not have that cheering squad of the people that you manage and you know, you're not showing up every day like in in your heels with everybody looking at you for the next direction and you're like emboldened by that rather than scared like an entrepreneur journey can be really lonely and in that loneliness is where these stories can start to pop in of like fester right less money so i can add a client Ooh, should i really post that video like who am i to tell them this information and i remind myself today like who am i not to and also like that person has just as much capacity to get in the arena as I do. So why do I take their opinion for something that should influence what I'm going to do if they're not even out there trying it, right? And if they are out there trying it and they're going to come back and say, Emily, I've got some advice for you. Great. Like that's the type of feedback you should be looking for, not worried about the opinions of others who are not your ideal clients, are not playing in your in your sandbox. One of the things I learned early on in my entrepreneurial journey was take advice from people who have done what you want to do, who have like, so you know, I'm a business coach. People come to me all the time. They're, they, their great uncle says this, their brother-in-law says this. I'm like, have they built a multi-million dollar business? Have they done that? No, they work a corporate job as a, they're great people, but they haven't done this. Why are you taking advice from people who are scared when you want to go forward and do great things in this world? Who are you taking advice from? I learned that like, oh, don't listen to this person who hasn't done it. 
listen to this person. That's the path. The success leaves breadcrumbs. Let's go over here, right? It's it's hugely different when when you start parsing that. And and being alone in business is such a huge thing. I was just talking to a client about this and she said one of the biggest things about the the coaching program she's in with with me is is being with other women who are leaders who are like they're the authority all day long everyone's turning to them asking them okay what about this and what about this and how do i do this and what's the direction here they're the ceos they're the founders right and they don't have anyone to talk to about what about this and what how about how do i sell this and what's the positioning on this and what do i price and just having a community is huge. It's like the team that you were talking about. We have to build our own teams. We have to build our own teams. It's so true. And if you're not in a position to hire, you don't have to, but you can get your, heard it called so many different things, like your internal board of directors, your your mentors, your your cheerleaders, your advocates, your fans, like Who's who's your sponsor? Who's mentioning your name in the rooms that you're not in and, and recommending you? Like, there's other ways to do that. Let's talk about how to build relationships with people so that they mention your names in rooms. I think that would be a huge value add to this conversation. So, how have you gone about doing that for yourself? Because nothing nothing tells the story better than like our own personal experience. Yeah, well, honestly, it goes back to the top of the conversation. Like, you have to serve, you have to give before you can receive. Yeah. And I don't want to be cagey and vague because I I have had more vague advice than I need, you know? So let's be specific here. So here's some ways that I've given before I have received. I have done over 130 episodes or 30, 130 interviews, 150 plus episodes on a podcast that doesn't have big sponsors, like it's not paying me all sorts of money. Literally, the purpose is just to get the word out there and to share the stories of women. And I do that with with such honesty and excitement just to be able to share their story. And that is something that is so selfless for this industry. Like I... I don't expect anything in return, but what I get back is is friendship. Um, what I get back is is women who I've met and spent time with and connected with, who I can email and ask, call and ask, you know, shout out to on LinkedIn and and say, hey, you know, I I'm having an issue here, or I need some help, or even better, my friend really wants to work for either your company or one of the this company that you work with. Can I give you her resume? Like I'm just paying into that that ecosystem even more when I'm working on behalf of others. And I I truly can tell you I don't do it for anything in return, but it's nice that the network has been built for when and if I do need something. And yeah. gotta find out like how you can, how you can start to do that. Like what is the thing that you can offer to build that network based yeah. on your industry or the people that you know. And then once you start to build it, you have to keep keep stewarding that network. And the way that I found is best to do it, I've talked about this in my TED Talk, it's cheer someone else on. It's changed the way that I look at accomplishments of women. It's changed the way that I 
I look at access to other women who are successful because I'm like, instead of seeing their success and saying like, oh, not me, or how did they do this? And I didn't, it's like, good for them. Amy Poehler said it, good for them, not for me. Like that's their accomplishment, not mine. And one day I'm going to have something great. Is it going to be so much better when there's all these women rallied around who are like genuinely excited for me because I I poured in. I poured into the relationship and then I asked them, how can I do more? How can I help you more? If you take anything away from this, just take that, right? Cheer someone on, like give someone a pat on the back, like support them, show up for them on social, whatever it is. It's so good. So let's talk a little bit about willpower. Let's go back to that conversation. What's your take on willpower? What Where do you think that fits in? The best way to have willpower, to build willpower is to have a why. It really goes back to like, why do you do things? Why do you do what you do? And you can continue to motivate, make yourself show up for things like when there is a purpose, you know, for me, just using the podcast as another example, like I have a why behind what I what I do for that. If I didn't, I wouldn't keep doing it because it's, as you know, it's a lot of work, you know, to to uh, to pour into something that's not work that's going to give you like a tremendous financial gain. The same way that those hours might, if you spent them on paid clients or um, your paid projects. But my why is that I genuinely believe that I can make a difference for women by sharing the stories of others. And as we said before, like rising tides lift all ships. So finding your why is makes it easier to show up. Um, another example is um, I ran a marathon last year. And for whatever reason, when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon when I'm done. I mean, kids like within the my youngest child in their first year of life like I will run a marathon I like I had a why I knew in the back of my mind I I'd set this like goal forever ago I I should run a marathon one day like I know I could do it I know I could challenge myself and finish that race and the why adapted over time like then I wanted to show my kids like if you work hard for something you could you can do hard things but you have to put in the relentless hard work. I had to show up for all of those training runs. And there came this point where I started to really also enjoy it. It was time for me um, that I carved out of the day. It was a huge brain break. It was it was awesome. Yeah. And my willpower to run 26.2 miles was first initiated, first activated by the why that I had behind it. I frame it up as desire is causative, like the things that we desire call us forward, right? That's that's a similar concept of why. Why has a little bit more of a bigger impact um, for the good of lots and lots of people. I, I sometimes think of it slightly differently, but I, I love the way you're using it around like my why was like I had this vision, I had this desire, I just wanted to, to go for it. So let's talk about uh, feeling... You talked about imposter syndrome, never really having that, but but also like, what can I ask for for salary and for pay and and for receiving compensation? So let's talk about the the concept of worthiness 
to receive? Like, did you always feel worthy to ask for the bigger salary? And and what did that, was it just learning, oh, I can, and then you you felt like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this? Or was there a, a an evolution for you around that in terms of needing to do some inner work to feel like, oh yeah, I'm worthy of this? So I don't think it was worthiness necessarily, but I do think it was was it's a journey, right? Like you you start off making a certain amount and as you grow over your career, you have an opportunity to make more. Um, but I think they're all you also need to raise your level of awareness. And so when I started to think about what what were other people earning around me, um, now it's that the information is more available. Companies have to post salaries in certain states on their job descriptions. So be really curious and search for that. You know, you might not be going to work in New York City, so you might have to scale it for Oklahoma City, but you know what's possible. And I think opening your eyes to what's out there is really important. Um, I think the stories that you're told, whether you're aware you're hearing them or not from when you're younger, are going to impact you today. You know, where I grew up, as I said, it was rural. People didn't make a ton of money. You know, you got a job, you stuck with it, and you were a hardworking Midwesterner. And when I went to college and I started, I was living, you know, making these wonderful friends who were from all these different areas and whose parents made, you know, a wide range of different amounts of money. I was like, okay, like this is opening my eyes like just a little bit more. And then when I graduated college and I saw the offers that people were getting for their starting salaries or even their internships in certain industries, I was like, all right, well, that's more information. That's more data. You are emboldened by the data and the information that you receive. So you should look for the data and the information that is going to take you in the direction you want to go. Like, don't get so far in your journey and look back to where people what people are getting paid when they're starting. Like, keep looking forward. You're here now. Like, what's next? What's that person earning? What are they? requesting if you're an entrepreneurship like what is that person earning for this type of work and that's going to motivate and and give you the permission to ask for what what you're no let it call you forward so going back to the data there's lots of data if we keep our eyes open and we're we, we raise our level of awareness we can see more there's data out there there's data points have you ever not felt successful even when the data in your own life is showing you otherwise? Sure. I have, um, you know, there's contracts I haven't won. They they reach out to me, ask me for, they want me to work there. They want my services. They need me to do all these things. I put together a proposal. We don't have the budget. It happens over and over and over again. And I'm like, how much do you think that you should pay me, right? Like this isn't, I'm not going to do it for free. And you have to have the patience and again, the willpower to wait for the client who will, who will pay you what you're worth, or you have to make a conscious decision that the experience you will gain from a contract that you're not going to earn what you would typically charge 
is worth it to put on your, you know, docket of of clients. And that is the same philosophy that I had applied when I was working in in you know, a level where I'm selling sponsorships for a sports team. You've got clients that come in and they pay above rate, you know, for what you're selling. And then you have clients who come in who have a budget and you sort of bend and flex and kind of work to create something that's going to help you guys both be successful. And you get to a point in the deal making where you're like, all right, are we going to take the deal? It always comes to that point in time. Are we going to take the deal? And there's, there is, you know, there's face value and then there's that intrinsic value. And so you have to decide like, is it worth getting them on the team if we have to make a couple of sacrifices? And at that point, you make the decision. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. So I think it's that same application in entrepreneurship and in business where you decide like, you know, sometimes the the, the clients who um, pay the least ask for the most, but sometimes the clients who pay the least are worth adding to your client roster because it's going to lead to more opportunity in the future. But only you can really decide that and you have to be honest with yourself um, on if it's the right right decision. When you think about your your entrepreneurial journey, you're, you're, you're going from working for other people to doing your own business now as, as a sports executive, what do you think the number one belief that you need to, you needed to have held like 2020 hindsight, you're looking back. What was the number one belief that you held that allowed you to step forward with such confidence? That my set of experiences will add tremendous value to whoever hires me to do the work. And have to hold on to that tight. Like you can't, you can't let time or the distance between the last thing you did and the thing you're doing next, you can't let let that allow your your feelings about what you can do slip. Like I know that I'm a producer and I know that I can can get the work done, but you can't let your confidence slip between the last job and the next job. Yeah, I love that. And that's a lot of where that worthiness comes in, right? You're like, I don't think that's a worthiness issue. And that's probably because you had the belief in what you were able to produce, what 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 you could create in this world. So let's yeah, talk about think, Oh, go on. My network and my my podcast helps me stay in the game. Like even if I'm on a solo journey, I have this this constant of the show where I'm set up to meet new people and have intelligent conversations around the work that I do. So yeah. there isn't a, a gap or a lapse of of time where you're not talking about, thinking about, and building in that that sector. I, I don't know if you ever felt like this, like you go away on vacation, and I think vacations are so important, but you're gone for a week or maybe lucky enough to be gone for two and you get back home and you're so slow in the office on the first day because you put your car back in park when you went and and stopped having those conversations about your business. You got out of the rhythm. That can happen 
in a lapse between jobs or a lapse between clients, like you get out of the rhythm. And so it can be harder to get started again um, if you can't find a way to continue the conversations and and the work around what you're trying to do. So I, I would say that, that that's something that you know everyone listening should really think about. Like, are you getting reps every day? Yes. We're sharp. Um, so that you're prepared for the next client. Like it could be something you bump into, uh, someone you bump into in, at school pickup. It could be someone you meet on vacation. Like, are you ready when yeah. it's time to step up? So this is an interesting, let's segue here, okay? Because I think this is really interesting. So so th- we have this masculine essence and we have this feminine essence and all of us as human beings have have both. And the masculine in us is like, get the reps in, willpower, let's go for it on the field of play. Like I'm a producer, let's go. Like I have a lot of that ambition and drive and understanding of what it does take to, to have readiness and to build you know, a, a very successful business and, and, and to, to do my work, like, what does it take to do my work in this world? Everyone has a different, you know, genius that they're in charge of producing. That's their work in this world. And there is discipline that's required for that. And then there's this other side, which is about receiving, allowing it to come in, connecting, nurturing, nourishing, a softer approach, more of that in- intuition, allowing yourself that discernment and not always doing the the tried and true because something new's come in and you you can feel it, right? It's not just the 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 linear logic mind. So talk to me, like I've spent a lot of time navigating those two elements, those two kinds of ways of being and integrating them. I'd love to hear how you have thought about that in your business. I think the way you put that was so interesting. I loved that description. And when I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about how I am both. I am very driven to succeed. I have the discipline to go after what I want, like get the reps, do what's next. But once I get there, my approach based on your description is very feminine. Like I am having a a great conversation. I am, it's a needs assessment at the beginning. What do you need? What do you need from me? How can I help you? And then that can switch to, okay, well, here's what I can do. Here's what I have done. And does it make sense if we apply what you need to what I can do? And if it does, then that's where the magic happens. And I think that you have to be confident enough to walk away. Like we've all been in those situations where square peg, round hole, right? Like you you try to pretzel yourself to make something work and you're not enjoying it. You're not doing your best work. You're not going to get the results for the client, but you had an opening in your schedule or you you wanted to bring in that income. So you you try to make it work. And I think, you know, the the magic happens in the space where the need meets what you can offer. And if it doesn't, you, you gotta get to a place where you can walk away. Yeah. And that again, that's a level of confidence. That's a confidence in yourself. That's a confidence in the universe, right? That's a confident yeah. like 
you're confident that you're you're going to be okay. Like it's th- this one deal is not the end all be all to your security in this world. It's a huge thing. I just got to say quick, when that happens, when it's a no, you have to go back to hunting. Can you send five more emails? Can you reach out to three more people on LinkedIn? I'm not telling you to make 80 cold calls in a day. Just a little bit. Just do a little bit. Get back in the game. Adds up over time. Don't make yourself so uncomfortable that you don't want to show up for work the next day because you're telling yourself you have to make 80 cold calls. Like just squeeze in a little bit of time, have some fun with it and do a little bit of outreach. I love that. I'm I'm so glad you interrupted the next question (laughs) for that because it's so important. It's like that concept of getting back on the horse, right? Like when, when, if you get a no, there is, so I really believe that we're all humans and that I'm having a conversation with a human being and and I really freaking care about the people that I'm engaged with in terms of like, if, if I'm having a sales conversation, if they're interested in coaching, all that. But there is this adage out there that's like, if it's a no, it's, it's next, right? And that seems kind of like flip or inhuman or like you don't care, but you can actually care so much and understand that it just wasn't the right fit. And who do I need to make myself available to next? Who do I need to open to next? And that's the way I have framed that that saying, because it can be very uh, transactional. Otherwise, next, 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 next. Like, like you're doing those 80 calls a day kind of thing. But really, to me, the way I've interpreted that is like, okay, Maybe that was a not now, maybe that was a a full no, but like, who do I need to open myself up to next? That's the feminine and matching it to the masculine, make that call, send that email, do the next thing so that you don't build up that big wall of resistance and, and it's so much harder to get started again the next day. So I love that, so good. Okay, before I ask my final questions, can you share with folks where the best places to find you are, the name of your podcast, all that good stuff? Yeah, so the podcast is called Leadership is Female, and I am your host. Um, We're on Instagram at Leadership is Female. Um, But then also I post a lot on my personal Instagram as well, which is Emily Jansen. And um, check the show notes for how to spell it. It's (laughs) It's an interesting one. (laughs) N-S-O-N. And then my business is called The Assist Group. And that's what we're here for. We're here to provide the assist. And we're using the term the assist based off of the person who passes the ball to the person who scores. Because we are contractors. We're coming in to to help you um, on a project that you might not have time, energy, resources, or the talent currently to do so. And you can't hire someone full-time and get them up to speed in time enough to deliver what you promise. So you can hire me or you can hire us um, to help you accomplish those goals short-term or long-term. And um, it's been it's been a lot of fun to, to work on um, so many different projects as someone who can add value to a front office. I love it. So good, so good. Okay, final questions. What do you love about yourself the most? I love my outlook. Over time, I have developed 
an outlook where it's it's get to do. Like I was, I am, I still am an achiever. And so when you're somebody who's going after more, sometimes you can reflect on how far you have left to go versus how far you've come. And I think I've worked really hard on celebrating how far I've come and then all the things that I get to do. I just heard uh, Doc Rivers say, pressure is a privilege. I freaking love that. Isn't that good? Like I get, I get to do this, this pressure that whether it's on the basketball court or in your business, like this pressure that you're feeling, this is a privilege. Like I get to do this. So I, I love that. So good. So good. So what is one thing that really dropped in for you from the conversation we just had? What would you, like, if you could take one thing and like use it in your own life or something that dropped in or something that you just want to underscore for the audience, what would it be? I really love what you said about that, the masculine and and feminine energy and the way that we had a conversation around that topic was really like eye-opening for me, especially for somebody who really loves to lead and pour into women. I love the way that you described that. And then I also wrote down desire is causative. Mm. So it's a different way to to talk about your why and how how you can approach that sort of from a different angle. So I hope all of you heard heard some of those things. And if you didn't, you could always go back and, and rewind. So good. So my final question for you, Emily, dun 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 is what makes you an unstoppable woman? I won't quit. So you can never be stopped if you won't quit. Mic drop. Let's end there. Okay. I love that. That is powerful. Okay, Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. So many good tidbits and nuggets here. You're an inspiration. I love what you have done and the generosity with which you show up every day. And, and how you have built your business from a place of, of service and impact, but also self-worth and value. Like, I am worth this. And what do you mean you're not paying me that? Come on already. Let's go. So you hold both sides so beautifully. And I, I really admired that. So thank you for being here. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. 